What's happening? My name's Charlie. I work for LITC. Um, that stands for Lion Height in the Community. We're just about to interview Chicks Terry, our first podcastee. Is that even a word? But yeah, so he's going to talk about mental health, mixed martial arts, training with Dylan White, and growing up in Brixton and all that entailed. So please enjoy. Today we're here, LITC podcast. Um, we're a community based organisation. Um, working within the community. We're based in Brixton. So we work with different age ranges from 16 up to retirement. Just basically doing a lot of stuff within the community and being within this area. So one of the things like, obviously it's a new podcast. And one of the things that I want to do with every podcast that we do, we want to look at, like obviously we can see we've got this beautiful piece of, well, it's subjective, isn't it? To say it's beautiful, but we've got this piece of artwork here and just looking at it, what does that say to you? Um, to be honest, like my perception of this is with the dress, I'm believing this like a black girl, but because she's dark and she looks confused, there's all calculations and symbols around her. Maybe she's got that misconception of feeling ugly, like it, she, it's quite a monstrous face. So she's got that um, misconception where they put in catalogs, in magazines, where the darker girls usually find themselves feeling unattractive and she's in some kind of state of confusion. And there's a doorway here, so hopefully she's running through that doorway to escape that concept of mind. And we'll probably go through there and clear her mindset and realise that she's a beautiful person. You know what, like, to be fair, that's, that's quite sick. That's the thing about art, like, you can look at it and it's just really subjective. You can look at something and make up all these different stories from having a look at that. To be honest, I've looked at that and one of the things that stood out to me was the equations. And I suppose it's like the work we do, like, within community, it's like we know there's an equation, we know that there's something out there and it's just solving that, like, in terms of the way we grow up, maybe, like, knowing that, do you know what I mean? There's a lot of obstacles. There's a lot of things that put her in our way, but how do we tackle how do we tackle these obstacles? How do we get to where we need to get to? How do we get the formula and answer the questions? So that's what I looked at when I was looking at in the equations. But hearing what you just said is quite powerful. But um, yeah, so with this podcast, I wanna look, I wanna look at like your journey and what your journey's been like and how you've got to the place you're at now. So what what I'd like to do is go way back from the beginning. So I mean, how you grew up, where you grew up. Um, family background and whatnot. So, yeah, if you can just talk, start by telling us. Okay, um, well, as you all know, um, our parents both came from Sierra Leone um, at young ages. Um, Mum came here at 18 years old and she never had a lot of family here. And, well, but practically when she came to the country, she was living like a one bedroom flat with possibly 20 people in a one bedroom yeah. flat, just yeah. um, blankets and sharing the one kitchen, one bathroom kind of thing and went through the struggles. And then um, growing up. Did, sorry, sorry to cut you. Did you ever, like what you were saying, did you ever speak to her about any of those things? Have you ever like asked? Because I know sometimes as you, we have these assumptions and we know because we hear little bits from our family old, they went through this or we went through that. But have you ever had those conversations like in terms of that, what was that like being in that space or did she find it comfortable? 
Do you know what? I find um, sometimes my mom doesn't talk a lot about the past as she's always wanted me to have a brighter future and always look to have a positive future. So she kind of hides it from talking about the psychological negatives of the past and trying to push me to think about the positives of the future. So she doesn't really talk much about the past. But she does remind me that, you know, she came back, she came from, what should I say, a negative background, a poor background, but to always push through and strive to become the best of what, what I can possibly be. Okay. All right, cool. So, yeah, sorry, I interrupted. So you were That's saying fine. about, um, like, how you grew up and where you grew up? Yeah. Um, well, we grew up just down the road. Um, went... Um, moved we're to down the, the road for our audience alright right now well, we're in Brixton right now okay. so uh, um, most of my life well, 13 years old we moved to um, the Mitesville North Estate um, grew around grew up around a lot of criminal activity there was a lot um, involved um, drugs weapons um, gang life there was a lot going on and yeah, yeah Wait, so when you grew up, you say you grew up in Mitesfield, North Estate. Yeah. Um, was you there? Who? When you say we grew up, who? Who was there? Your mom. Okay. Um, it was myself and my younger sister, and I grew up with my single mother yeah. at, the, at the time, who um, met my stepfather, who took the place of being that father figure to me. Okay. Yeah. So when you say like took the place, so like. Your 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 actual father was he not around or no? Um, from like ten years old, it was just practically my mom bringing me up, yeah. and then she met my stepfather who assisted in that development. Okay, so when all right, so okay, so I'm getting a picture. So say like your father wasn't around. Did you? What was your relationship like? Did you have a good relationship with your father? A bad relationship? Do you know why he wasn't around or? Um, to be honest, um, even when my father was around. He wasn't around yeah, because yeah. my father was a bio, on-call biochemist. So, okay. like, he was a scientist-type doctor. Okay. And he was always out working. Okay. Back in the day, before mobile phones, that he used to have a pager. Yeah. And his pager would go off and he would have to leave to go to work. Yeah. Okay. So, a lot of the time, when it was family time, he was out working. And when I, when I had to go to bed after school... I'd hear him coming through the door, but yeah. it was just like, yeah. hi daddy, kind of hug, and then off back to bed kind of thing. So I didn't really spend much time with him, even when he was around. Yeah. And then when it, when my parents split up, it was even harder um, to be around him because he wasn't even around much when when he was around. Yeah, oh, okay. And like looking back on that, like I suppose looking at the, the younger you, when you look back as an older person, what was that feeling like? Like, cause you said he wasn't around, but then you're saying about, but then when they actually did split up, what was that feeling? What, what can you go back into that place? And like, you know, I, was, I was upset because although my father wasn't around, he was still like my role model. I still wanted to be like a scientist type doctor, like my father. Um, when I went to college, I studied the BTEC national diploma in science. Um, I wanted to go on and do um, chemistry and biochemistry to go on and do a similar um, role as him. So we're saying you grew up in Mightsfield, North Estate, and you said yeah. there was a lot of criminal activity and whatnot going on. Yeah. So what was it like in terms of, so you said it was you, your sister, you, your sister, and your mum. Yeah. So when you first went there, like, what was it like when you first went to the area? Did you gain a lot of friends? 
What was it like? Well, to be honest, it was quite intimidating when we first moved because we're moving stuff quite late at night. And the boys were just sitting on the corner. Um, there were like 10 to 20 of them sitting yeah. on the corner. And it's a very intimidating atmosphere. But funny enough, one of them remembered me from when we used to play football at Mightsfield Park. Yeah. So um, before um, moving to Mightsfield, we used to live just down the road, Denmark Road. Okay. So we're always close I, by I anyway. Remember, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, yes, someone re- remembered me from um, when we used to play football at Mightsfield Park. I was like, Chigs! And yeah, from then I acknowledged them and we got speaking and then they introduced me to the boys around the estate. So straight away I felt welcome and that intimidation quickly got broken down. Mm. And so I felt like part of the group already. Mm. Yeah, so like it's funny because I don't know, maybe it's an assumption, but I never grew up. I grew up in Peckham, but I never grew up in an estate. So a lot of times when you hear the word estate, there's a lot of assumptions and a lot of things that come with that. Like, and you're saying you just just said, oh, the group, yeah. people that I was with. But then I don't know, maybe out in the media they say gangs and whatnot and things like that. That's what they used to describe. Maybe people that are from these estates. How would you say? What was it like for you in terms of like? Just growing up and you saying making friends and what would be the things that you lot would be doing, like let's say within the estate, how did it progress from 13 to some of the other things that you were talking about? They had a influence on, on us as, as the youngers. So they'll come and play a bit of football with us, but then they'll go off into like, in the estate there was like blocks where you could stand up in there and they were smoking. Um, there were other things being moved around, um, not just the weed, but yeah. And... A lot of my friends were influenced by the olders. They see the olders come and play football with us. Then they've got this reputation for, for what shall I say? What shall I, say? Um, I don't even know the terminology, but because of their reputations, um, my friends wanted to be more like them. And even I wanted to be more like them because not only were they the ones with money and drugs and things like that, they had the girls come in to see them. And fun enough, we have, we used to have quite a lot of girls come up in, in the block and, and chill with us. Yeah. So, yeah, just, I think we just had a good community spirit and we just um, enjoyed being around each other. Mm. But the one thing about being around each other a lot is when someone else is involved in some kind of criminal activity or rival activity, it kind of you kind of got involved with it. So let's say, for instance, being on the Mightsfield estate, although it was enjoyable, mm. if one of the, let's say, 20 of us were on the estate, let's say um, they had a rival from another area and they came into that into our estate, all of us are now representing our estate. And do you think, like, looking at it, I don't know, it's probably a question that a lot of people put out there that maybe haven't grown up in that environment. Do you think... Because you said you mentioned a step, you had you have a stepfather. Do you think it was a lack a lack of a father figure that made you impressed by these guys, or do you think no, it wasn't that at all? It was just the time it was. And also, what years are we looking at when you're saying growing up in this in this this in this time? What years were this? Okay, um, moved about ninety six, I believe it was, and yeah, um, so let's just say mid to late nineties. Yeah, my stepfather was a father figure, 
Mm. But he was busy as well because he had another um, a role in Sierra Leone. So he was flying in and out of the country. Okay. But he when he was hit, was here in England, he was responsible for my upbringing and help assist my mum. Yeah. But because he was flying out the country, it was more my mum was just there mm. and she had to play the role as mother and father. Mm-hmm. But then I had older cousins like yourself and my older brother. But my brother, was, again, he was um, in and out of my life. Um, he used to run away from home when we were younger. And then when he moved to university, he kind of disappeared and... The role models in my life were yourself and the other the boys on the estate. Okay, that's um quite like obviously we're family, so I know yeah. some of these things. But like for the audience that don't know, so when you say like your brother was in and out of your life and then he disappeared from your life, do you want to touch on that? And, like, and when I say touch on that, like how that made you feel? And okay, um, well it, it's hard because he has to go back quite away, but yeah, um. Mom, as I said, um, mom tried her best to do her best for us as, yeah. as children. Yeah. And she spent a lot of money putting my brother through a private school. Okay. And him being in a private school, he was mixing with um, boys who came from rich backgrounds. And I think the being around boys who ha- whose parents have like three, four cars, live in a mansion... Um, they own boats. Um, yeah, yeah, r- very rich backgrounds. Different, he was yeah. really, he was really embarrassed by okay. us, and he used to go to his friends' houses, but then was embarrassed to bring his friends to our house. Mm. But I didn't realize that at the mm. time. But mm. as I've gotten older, I've realized um, why his friends never came to our house, and why sometimes he would run away from home mm. and spend three, four days at his friend's house without us knowing. Mm. So. Um, growing up, mum and, and my father at the time were would go out searching for my brother. Mm. Um, police would sometimes bring him back and say, "Yeah, um, your son was found on the streets, or he was he um, we found him at his friend's house. He was staying mm. at his friend's house, but we didn't know at the mm. time. Mm. And yeah, as I said, because he grew up um, in a he went to a private school Different and was time. around rich yeah. people. I think he was very much embarrassed by us. Mm. And so he wanted to live the life of his friends. And, yeah, and peers, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. Um, and I think that concept of running away, when he ended up going to university, he was staying on campus. Um, yeah. He used to go to um, university in Egham, um, Royal Holloway University. Mm. And he used to come back every weekend back home and stay with us. But then there were some weekends where we wouldn't hear from him. He would just disappear. Mm. So him him being my older brother, I used to go out and go jump on the tube, um, jump on the train at Waterloo, and I'll go and find him. And so, yeah, it, it was hard. It was hard. Yeah, like I can see, like, obviously, forgetting the relationship we, we have, like, there's certain things we've never really spoke about. Yeah. And I can see, like, even in your eyes, like, do you know what I mean? That yeah. it gets to, like, can you remember, like, what you what that feeling like what of like oh my brother's run away or we don't know where my brother is and having to go and look for him can you remember what that feeling was like well to be honest 
there were the three of us. It was um, my brother who was three and a half years older than you. You're three and a half years older than me. And we, we grew up together. Everything was done together. Um, like Christmas um, holidays and things like that. It used to be the three of us that used to hang around together. Mm. Um, we spent a lot of time at your house. Um, but then when he disappeared, it just felt like a major part of, of the, our trio yeah, yeah. was missing. Yeah. And it was hard for me because all my friends had like older brothers around and my older brother wasn't around. Mm. So I used to go and go and try and find him. Although I had you as mm. as my other brother as a replacement, but it just felt like my brother's not, not here and not around. So yeah, he used to go and find him and it was hard. Yeah. You said something about you used to go and find him and then you used the word replacement. And do you think like when we're looking back and you're talking about growing up in Myattsfield North and you said the other guys were called, do you think you at some stage you were trying to find a replacement within those characters? Well, do you know, as, as I said, because um, he was away and I think sometimes when you don't have that direct father figure or older brother figure, mm. you look for the people cl closest to you or easiest to get to. Yeah. And because these older boys were local and they were around more often than my brother and my father, you kind of gain a bond with them and gain a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. So the kind of things that they were up to, you kind of get involved with as well. Yeah, of Although some majority of the time it's unintentional, mm -hmm. but you just follow the crowd. And if you have no one to guide you, okay, this is the wrong way, you end up being just like them. Mm -hmm. And to a certain instance, I was doing certain things I wasn't supposed to. I'm not going to go into detail, because that could get certain people or myself into trouble. But yeah. there were certain things that yeah. I used to get involved in and I'd feel guilty as well because the sacrifices mum made to bring me up as as the only um, male, should I say, as my brother wasn't around, I had to be that male role model for my sister. Mm -hmm. And it's quite, quite powerful that like, even at a, I suppose at a younger age that you was thinking about that. And I feel like like working with the work that we do, working within the community, I feel like one of the main words that we use when we're having conversations is responsibility, accountability. And I suppose with a lot of the young people now, they don't really take responsibility. I don't want to be that guy, that old guy, like well, a lot of the young people, like we've all been young. I'm not trying to proclaim to be any different, but I'm saying, I think, in this environment, a lot of people don't take responsibility. If I did something with my friends, which I knew I was going to get in trouble for, or there will be consequences for, I'd quickly like say to my friend, like, do not, I want to go back home and just chill for a bit. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I didn't want to get too deep involved mm. because the consequences of that, who is then going to be, like my, my older brother's disappeared. So she's now got one son where she had two sons before. If I was to go to prison or get caught up in something, She's now got no sons and just her daughter. So I had a responsibility as being that son who was there to help her and support her in bringing up my younger sister. Yeah. So you said in about community spirit and then I heard this, it's like, it's one for all basically. Yeah. Like if someone's yeah. trying to review, yeah. whoever's from your, your estate, you're all backing yeah. it, you're yeah. all sticking, yeah. sticking together. Yeah. So like, 
To be fair, like, I think Brixton, to my knowledge, is not like any other place in London in terms of, so you've got Mightsfield North, you'll have Angel Town, you'll have Summer Leighton, but you have all these different groups like within Brixton, yeah. but it's really quite segregated and divided. Can you touch on that in terms of, like, I don't know, was there a lot of problems that like, since we're talking about like street stuff, was there a lot of problems with different groups within the same area? All right, well, growing up, initially, we were all united. So, like, man them from Mightsfield will be linked up with Mightsfield South. Well, we were Mightsfield North, but we'll be linked up with Mightsfield South, Angel Town, Summer Layton. There's always, like, someone from our state who's got family in another bit. So we're all associated with one another. Yeah. Everyone kind of associated to PDC were mainly from Brixton. Mm -hmm. So we all kind of familiarise familiarised ourselves with e with each other. So Mandan from Mightsfield, they knew we were from Mightsfield. If you went to Angeltown and someone was to try something with you. No, 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 that's chick from Mightsfield. Like, no, no, he's my people. And someone always stuck up for you or spoke up for you. And because you always knew someone, you were capable of going anywhere within Brixton. Mm -hmm. um, it's changed now where everybody's got their own division all representing their own area. But growing up, even you had areas like Tulse Hill, Stockwell, they used to say they were part of Brixton. They would say, yeah, we're P I'm PDC, yeah. or I'm from Brixton. People from Campbell would say they're from Brixton or Peckham. So everybody used to want to be associated to either Brixton, Peckham, and we had a, um, larger affiliations. Mm. Whereas now, you know, there's a lot of divide and people are representing their own little street corners and things like that. Yeah. But yeah. So you, you touched on the word community spirit, like in terms of growing up then and how you see things now, I know we're going to get into that anyway because you're very active in the work you're doing within the community. How do you see, what's the difference between then? Because you said it was like, it was one for all. Yeah. We're a community, we back each other, we grow up together, we're friends, family, whatever it may be. What do you see being the difference now when you think of the word community and how it is? Well, to be honest, um, I blame the government. Although it's a, I don't really want to become a political issue, but things like... Um, after school schemes have closed down, community centres have been closed down. A lot of the big estates where people used to mix from like childhood and then even as adults still mix, um, we're, we're all being separated now. Um, all the estates have been knocked down and they're just building up um, new apartment blocks where only people who can afford them can pay for it. Gentrification. So... Now they're dividing up um, people who had the, that community spirit and you knew your neighbours. You knew everyone living on, on your block. Mm. But now people don't know each other. Mm. You're living next door to someone who next week they're moving out and then someone else is moving in because no one really, um, the people who own the properties, they're renting them out. Mm. As I said, people aren't aren't moving into Brixton and staying for 10, 20 years. They're buying these properties and then renting them out to people, maybe students or people who can afford them. Those people aren't staying here for long and then they're moving out probably somewhere cheaper or 
finishing their studies and then moving on to to probably back to where they um, originally lived or come from. Okay. Oh, that's quite a, yeah. that's quite on point in what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. So we're talking obviously we've been talking about where you grew up, yeah. how you grew up, some of the effects, these effects that it's probably had on you, like positive, negative. Yeah. What um so you're growing up, you're saying there's certain street things, a lot of crime going on and whatnot. You touched earlier about your dad being a biochemist or whatnot, if I was yeah. correct. And then you said it made you want to do that. So where did you go with your education? Well, um, initially, um, I'll start from like primary school yeah. times because yeah. I was very good at maths, very good um, in science and thinking type um, things. And I initially wanted to go to Kingsdale Secondary School when I was leaving primary school. But the school called my mum up and said, you know, your son's a very intelligent boy, but he's got a bad temper. And if he ends up going Kingsdale, he's either going to end up six feet under or end up in jail. And I ended up going to London Nautical School alongside you. Well, you, you yeah, were there for only one year. You were there for one year. I'll feel... back you within that one year. Anyone <laughs> yeah. who's well protected yeah, within yeah, that yeah. one year, don't worry Definitely, about that. Yeah. We, we won't talk about that anyway. I had to, <laughs> yeah. I had to touch a few people mm, for you, but mm. it's all good. But definitely, I'd say the discipline of that secondary school, mm. having to do, to do parades, having a specific uniform. Sorry, so for people that don't know, what was London Nautical School? All right. London Nautical was a Navy school where we were trained up as though we were going to the Navy. And our uniform was Navy-based, um, plain black polishable shoes, mm. black socks. Um, yeah, and we used to wear like a Navy-type um, uniform. And it was very disciplined in the way we were taught and mm. how how the school, um, what should I say, syllabus was, was set. Yeah. yeah. I, I think like, even for me, like thinking about going to London Nautical, one of the things I think what, to my education that I liked about it was where it was based. So it was based in like, well, as you know, it was based in Waterloo, Blackfriars. But what was quite cool about that school is all the boys, because it was a boys' school, all the boys were from different parts of London. So it wasn't like specific, like all the boys are from Peckham, Brixton, from South London. We had just as many kids from Hackney, Labrook Grove, Tottenham and I think that was quite good from a young age like you're making friends and they're from North London and when you're exploring or whatnot so but yeah so I just thought I'd like put that in because I know you went there as well so you said you went to London Nautical so you're talking about your education and where it took you yeah um and I think like again the discipline in there also gave you a kind of sense of responsibility as well because remember, we used to do parades four days a week. So if your tr if your shoes weren't plain black and polished, you'd get in a lot of trouble for that. You had prefects who were ensuring that um, we were following the code of conduct. And yeah, it was a very well-disciplined school. If you tra changed your trainers after school, changed from your shoes to your trainers after school, you had, um, what was his name? No, oh, what's his name? 
had the assistant <laughs> head, remember the assistant head used to yeah. tell you that's not school yeah, uniform yeah, yeah. take your trainers off put your shoes back yeah, on yeah, yeah. and it would follow us up, up who was, who was up the head the when, we, when we when you, um, John we Brand his, was Brand was Brand yeah. your headmaster yes. when you was there yes. and then yes. you had McDonough that's it he was Neil like McDonough. a fed like, he was like McDonough a was, fed. yeah, 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 yeah. Now, now he was very disciplined yeah. and that was yeah. basically yeah you felt like you really were in the Navy or in the military yeah, of some yeah, kind yeah, yeah. because he used to follow you to the bus stop and ensure that you were in school yeah, uniform yeah, was, all the yeah, way. It was mad, it was mad. And even summertime, we had to be in the full school uniform, wear our jumpers, wear our blazers, unless we were told it's shirt sleeve order where we're allowed to remove our jumpers and, and blazers. So I do think going to that, going to that school and the discipline in that school also helped with like the focus and kind of keeping off the streets as well. Okay. So you said, um, so you went London Nautical. So I assume like you said, you was quite studious and whatnot. So where did you, what did you, what was your aspirations from going to school to, to go on to do what? Well, um, initially, as I said, I wanted to become a biochemist. So when I left London Nautical, I went to um, St. Francis Xavier Sixth College yeah. in um, South South Clapham, Ballam Way. And I studied um, a BTEC National Diploma in Science. Okay. Um, I was very good at um, the digital systems, very good at biochemistry, not so good in chemistry, but very good in physics. And I did all right in biology. Mm. And yeah, um, yeah, I, I did really well in college, although, again, you, you're kind of studying, but then also thinking of like, yeah, you want to get involved with certain things that were happening on the, on the street as well. So you come back from school or college and yeah. your friends who you hang around with after school are involved in certain other things, yeah, talking about mad. money, yeah, yeah, wearing yeah, brand yeah. new trainers. Yeah. Um, and I think... Also, you you were um, trying to live up to the expectation of others. Mm. I think psychologically, I I used to wear a lot of feeler because when your mum used to go abroad, she'd come back with with fleet feeler clothing for us. Um, but all my friends used to wear Nike and be boasting about their Nike clothes mm. and things like that. Mm. Um, used to go like central London and come back with a new Nike tracksuit. Wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't say how they got the new yeah, yeah. Um, Nike tracksuit. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think growing up and seeing those kind of things, you want to get involved in, in those kind of things as well. Yeah, most definitely. And yeah. seeing your friends with... Um, with new clothes, brand new clothes. I used to always go to mom and say like, yeah, can I get the new item? But because of what she could afford, mm. yeah, bringing up um, three children at the time or bringing up um, my sister and I, but then my brother had gone, um, she couldn't financially afford all of these things. Mm. And so I kind of wanted to do the same as my friends, go and steal, go and rob, make that additional money to... Um, buy the stuff that my friends had. Yeah. And I think it's a it's it's difficult because you always you wanna keep your head straight on focus on your studies. Yeah. But then you also want to live up the standard live up to the standards yeah. of the people around you. Yeah. yeah and yeah, if yeah. they're wearing brand new clothes and you're wearing some old dusty clothes, you want to then 
fit in. Yeah. And so you need to, you needed to, or wanted to do the same things as them to fit in or, or be accepted because sometimes you felt like you weren't accepted because you're doing something slightly different from them. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, and you know what, like when you're saying that, it's a, it's a bit of a mad one because I remember you're at school, everyone's wearing school uniform, you're going to school, it's what yeah. you know and you go to college and it's like, this is when you start, it's like, manhood like you go to college but you may go to a college where you're getting different people from different walks of life different areas yeah so even when you go to college it's like well i'm from peckham i gotta represent now i'm from peckham yeah and like you're saying like one foot in one foot out like i literally remember i went to like a, a drama college like quite a quite a popular reputable drama college i went there and i remember literally my friends coming down like from my area and on lunchtime at lunchtime robbing the bookies but then like we're literally like i'm studying i'm gonna be an actor i'm gonna be this like doing okay showing them one face my friends are meeting me at lunchtime we're going down the road in Fulton heath and we're robbing the bookies like it's normal yeah. do you know what i mean and yeah. then we're back in college like literally the next day like do you know what i mean and things like that were just normal and it's just like when i look at it now and i think like how did we even like how did we, we were even accepted? How did we get through in this environment? Like, obviously being a bit older than you, it was my time, it was a lot of people, like my era, I'd say, honestly, most people were smoking crack. Like 16 years old, and most of my friends were smoking crack. Like, it was normal. And there's something that I look at now that, I don't know, it's not that I would say it's a lost generation, but it's not really spoke about. It's not really... They won't really say, oh, there was 16-year-old smoking um, crack in the whole of London, in Tottenham, in Peckham, in Brixton. Do you get what I'm saying? And that was a normal thing. It was actually fashionable. Yep. So I look at, like, when you're talking about education and whatnot, and I look at the some of the things that we was exposed to. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yep. And how we've had to work our way through this and how some people, they haven't been able to work their way through it. Like, So just touching on that, like, that's why I brought up because yeah, no, it made no, me no. think about it. Yeah. But, like, but obviously you being a bit younger, is there any obstacles that you feel that you've had to really f fight within your life? I think, um, again, it's, it's just trying to focus again on developing myself and then also trying to keep that street credibility as well. Because you're from a well-known estate, you're from Brixton and Maxfield was infamous. And you want to get that education, become um, qualified, become professional. But then also you want to hold that reputation like, yeah, I'm chicks from Mitesfield or I hang around with so-and-so. We do this, we do that. Mm. So you get caught up in a lot, a lot of, what should I say? Yeah, you're, you're caught up in, in a place in like no man's land because you want to get that education. You want your family to be proud of you. I always wanted mum to be proud of me because she struggled as a single mother to to financially bring build us up. Um, she was working six days a week sometimes. Mm. But then I was around the mandem and I wanted to impress the mandem as well. I wanted to get involved with certain things that they were doing. I wanted to smoke weed, but... Do you know, it weren't my thing. Mm. Like, my dad used to smoke 20-odd cigarettes a day and I used to hate smoking. So I'd be around the man them, but then I would want to smoke, but then not want to smoke. Mm. And then 
I want to get my education. I want to develop. But then I, again, I want to be around a the man. Then. So I would finish, I'll do my studies, get to college, um, get go home, do my homework, but then do my homework as soon as I can. So I'm out there with the man then. Mm. Because I wanted to rep my my estate. I wanted to be with the man them doing doing this and that, making mm. money. Um, yeah, so yeah. I was caught up in, in limbo. I was yeah, caught was in, in limbo. limbo. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And did you have any, like, so you, that, was there any, like, did you have any personal, like, that were just personal to you, things that would hinder you or try and hold you back? Was there anything, like, whether it be, I don't know, whether it be health, like wealth, anything? Did you have anything like that? Well, um, at 13 years old, um, we first found out that um, I had um, a mental illness. Well, I say it's a mental illness because it affected me um, mentally. Mm, yeah. um, one day on parade at school, I collapsed. And luckily two teachers saw me um, about to collapse and caught me. Otherwise, I would have fallen flat on my face. Um, we later on found out that um, I was suffering from um, blackouts and seizures. Um, again, it's um, no one really knew what it was at the time, and it was very rare. I've got small tumours on my brain called tubers. Yeah. Apparently, they're benign, which are non-cancerous. Yeah. But I've also got on my kidneys and lungs. Yeah. And... They said I was too, when they did the test, they said I was too old to check it, but I may possibly even have it on my heart. Yeah. But my illness was very um, rare. So I used to get teased at school, like, oh, Chiggs is from Maudsley Hospital, which is a mental health hospital mm. in, in Camwell. Yeah. And so, like, me having a bad temper as well, obviously, you know, as, as a child, I used to get into fights quite regularly and I didn't care how big you were. I was ready to fight you. I, I used to even fight you and get beaten up, but still mm. come come after you. Like overcoming that, being able to to um, train at a top yeah, level, yeah. And fight at a top level That's what I alongside to type, top fighters as well. Yeah. Yeah. Having this illness and not allowing yeah. it to restrict me. That's what like, I wanted to ask. So how how is that? Because from someone like myself, I'm looking and yeah. thinking, I would be like, I'd be scared. Yeah. That's the long and short yeah. of it. Like, yeah. Because you're talking about having seizures and blacking out. Yeah. Were you ever like in fear like, oh, or did that ever happen when you thought like, oh, you know what, I'm going to yeah. black out yeah. in this fight or I, I'm going to... To be honest, like, my trainer kept saying to me, you got a different mindset from anybody I've trained. Like, even with your illness, you still want to do what everyone else is doing or push beyond that. And there were times where I, I didn't want my mum to know that I was fighting. She knew I was doing martial arts, mm. but I couldn't allow her because she was so worried about my illness and she's mm. been through it, seeing me have seizures, um, have blackouts, and it was re very worrying for her. Mm. So the hard thing for me was sneaking my bag out of the house to go and, and mm. compete. Mm. So the only thing, the only thing that did kind of worry me was what happens if Mum finds out how how <laughs> so, harsh. So how like, harsh you're not worried about her. like you being concussed and like not, dying or something. Not, like, you're worried about not, Mum. Yeah. The funny yeah. thing is, even before you um before you get in the ring, you have to have a medical, yeah. and the doctor um the doctor will ask you, oh, do you suffer yeah. from any illnesses?" And I'll tell them, and they'll be like. What, what fight number are you? Um, I'm going to be by the ring when you're fighting. How did that, how did that make you feel? How did that used to make you feel you know before? What? To me, 
I was thought, you know, I'm well prepared for this. This ain't gonna happen to me. Yeah. But again, just the people, other people's reactions. I was thinking, like, I'm not as worried as you are, but like the people around, their concern kind of made me kind of cautious of should I actually be doing this? But mm. in in my own head and my own mindset, I was saying, you know, I want to compete. I want to know what it's like. I don't want to t- um, tell people 20 years down the line, I've been doing Muay, Muay Thai or martial arts for 20 years mm-hmm. and I've not actually competed. And people always like touching on that. People always doubt you. I don't, I think in our journey in life, people are always, oh, I don't know if you're good enough to do that, Charlie. I don't know if you can do this. Like people doubt you constantly. And some people, we never achieve what we what maybe were, were we maybe never achieve certain things that we could achieve because of doubt because of self-preservation, because you look at other people and think, oh, well, they're making me feel a bit insecure due to whatever reason. And it's testament to you that you sat down there and said, you know what? No, forget all of that. I'm still going to go for this. But in terms of, you were saying, having a seizure, what's the feeling like for for people like myself that maybe have never experienced that? And I have experienced when you've had a seizure before and I know like, just holding you and feeling that, oh man, and just wanting to protect you. So I know what that felt like for me, but I'm saying for some people that probably suffer from similar things or maybe don't suffer from that, what's the feeling like after? Like, what do you feel like after that's happened? You've had a seizure. What is it? A, uh, what's the feeling? Is it a down feeling? How do you feel after? Like, what's going on mentally? Yeah, um, do not, like straight after... I've had a seizure and I've been with my mum and I've seen the effect it's had on her. Mm. Like, because I'm also, it's, it is like you're, you are in limbo. You're in a, in a state of recovering and a state of emotion. As soon as I see my mum and I've come to, I get emotional because I feel that I've let her down yeah. and I have broken down and I've cried and I've hugged her and, and I've apologised to her because I feel like I've let myself get into that situation. But like um, afterwards, like it's just like you know, how am I gonna push on um, and prevent this from happening um, a- another time? I don't want to let down my mom. Like I feel like she sacrificed so much, and I always feel in my heart like like that when these things happen. It's not wor- it's not so much like I've let myself down, it's more I've let my mum down. Mm. And my my younger sister, she was around, um, I was looking after her when I first started having episodes of seizures and blackouts. And I think it affected her a lot as well. And when is she sees that happen me having a seizure, it has a major effect on her as well. So I've got a sense of responsibility to control my my myself uh, my illness and and yeah it's more of like the effects it has on the people around me rather than myself so, so t- obviously I, like we're family so touching on that you said it's had an effect on your sister you believe, but do you think it's had a good effect on her in the respect that what her career path is the career path she chose to go down well my sister is now a, a, a nurse yeah. and I think maybe it's from yeah. seeing me be ill and having to help me when I've been in a bad situation, yeah. I think it possibly has made her feel like, do you know, I, I want to be in a place where I'm helping other people um, in, in a place of need. 
she's she's been with me when I've been at my, my lowest point um, through my illness, so possibly has. Yeah, because she's a qualified nurse yeah. that works for the NHS. Yeah. Yeah, we won't mention what hospital, yeah, but if yeah. you're from South London, <laughs> it's yeah. that hospital. But yeah. <laughs> my mentality at the time, being teased about my illness, representing um, my area, I was getting into trouble at school for fighting, um, trying, to, trying to study... But then also having to defend myself for being told I'm I'm from Maudsley Hospital and things like that. So I used to get into a lot of trouble yeah. for fighting. Um, I even got a thing where people used to say to me, I was called Switcher, mm-hmm. where they'll come to a light switch and switch it yeah. on and off and go, yeah, Chiggs is Switcher. Because my mentality was, do you know, I'm not letting no one take me for an idiot. And I used to get into a lot of fights and arguments at school. Mm-hmm. And... I didn't realise at the time, it was also part of the, de- the um, development of my illness as well. Mm-hmm. So I was, um, for people who don't know about the illness, it's called tuberous sclerosis complex, where I have very minute benign tumours on my brain called tubers. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know about it, the doctors didn't know about it, but it was affecting my um, my temper as well. Mm-hmm. So... All this time I've um, from young growing up fighting older yeah. people, uh, older kids getting into fights. Not knowing why, just feeling like you're defending yourself. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that it was part of my illness, and yeah, my illness has been a major, a uh, major impact on my life, which I didn't know about. And it's only as I've gotten older I've realised that yeah, do you know, it's been a major part and affected me majorly. Okay. So, like, obviously we were talking about education. We've gone a bit all yeah, over the yeah, place, yeah, but that's yeah, really yeah. interesting in what you're saying. So, you're saying about, like, your illness. What are the things that have probably, I don't know, to calm you? What are the things that you've turned to that have helped, that you feel help with your illness? Because I suppose it's something that you're always going through in life and that you're always, well, it's a part of you. So, what are the things that you'd say that have helped you to... I don't know, not, yeah, probably pacify, helped you to deal with your illness. Do you know, um, when I got involved in, in uh, martial arts, that was a very um, positive way of channeling my anger and channeling um, that additional energy. Because as I, as I said from young, I've always, want, I've always been fighting. All right, so when you say like martial arts... Um, what is it, a specific type of martial arts? Or I don't know yeah, yeah, much yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I did like karate briefly when I was younger, but it wasn't something I really enjoyed doing. But I got involved in Muay Thai and I've been doing it for about 16 years now. Explain, because I know some people are like me. Muay Thai, what's Muay okay. Thai? Muay, Muay Thai is basically um, the, thai, uh, the Thai version of kickboxing, where it's punching, kicking, kneeing and elbows. They call it the art of eight limbs. Okay. Whereas like punching and kicking is just four limbs, your two arms and two legs. But in this, you're using your your knees and elbows as well. And yeah. And when did you first like get into like the mixed martial arts or martial arts Muay Thai? When did you first get into it? Okay. um, When I was 17 years old, I used to train at um, Flaxman Sports Center. Yeah. My friends who I was at college with signed up with me, but they kind of just like stopped turning up. No, it's filled but, by the yeah, wayside yeah, yeah. sort of thing, yeah. But my consistency, I just kept on um, training there. Mm. Um, but then like a few years down the line, 
I had an operation, yeah, and after the operation, I was told that I couldn't um, train for about two, three months. So me missing the gym, um, I went there after about a month and just passed by and saw, um, said hello to people, just passed by. But then I met um, who later on became my um, martial arts Muay Thai trainer, Julian Howe. I met him and I saw them doing a few stretches that I learned in, um, as a child, um, doing karate and, and um, taekwondo. Yeah. And so um, I just asked, like, can I get involved? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, yeah, you can get involved. And he saw that I was really enthusiastic in the training. And he was like, yeah, we're here um, Monday to Friday, told me the, the time and told me I should come by and, and just train. Mm. And it's funny because... I stopped doing the weights and lifting yeah. weights, like yeah. becoming the biggest, bulkiest guy yeah. around my friends to actually being involved in, in martial arts. And there are so many things I've overcome in my martial arts that has helped me in so many different aspects of life. So let's just say, for instance, when I started martial arts, after four months of training in Muay Thai, I was in the ring fighting on, on a semi-professional level. Mm. Mm. Um, I didn't win, but like I achieved so much in that four months. Like the guy I fought had about six um, amateur fights before I fought him, mm. and that was just my debut. My second fight was after six months of fully training. I fought the number two in Britain, and he was twenty-two kilos heavier than me, super heavyweight. Yeah, yeah. I lost to him on points, but even the promoter at the time said to me he thought I won the fight, and. Then through um, that fight, people backed out fights um, from me. And it just showed me, like my trainer said to me, do you know what, you overcome so many hurdles in this martial arts thing. Like Mm. you went from knowing nothing to four months you got in the ring to six months you're fighting number two in Britain, super heavyweight, who who had over 30 odd fights. Mm. And you've achieved so much in that short space of time there's nothing that could um, prevent you progressing in, in anything else you wish to do in life. What, sorry, to, to, to interject, what did that do for your confidence? It really boosted boosted my confidence. And not only um, did I feel comf- confident walking the street and, and not being intimidated by anyone, but also one thing my trainer said to me, like, if you look at um, a white belt in karate, they go through all these um, challenges to become a black belt. Mm. Though we don't go through, go through that belt system in Muay Thai, the same, the same input you put into your training and how hard you progressed and worked, yeah, is the same thing you do in life. When you go to work, you you start off at the beginning at the bottom of any company, and you work your way to become um, the director or whatever. Um, but martial arts really. Um, got me on the focus of like, do you know what? You need to be more disciplined in your mindset. And I was lucky enough that my trainer even said to me, the same mindset you have in your training is going to help you in life. If you're a person that gives up in your training, you're going to be a person that gives up in life. So channel your energy correctly. I've also got like a small bubble that rely on me also. I took a more responsibility of channeling my energy to develop other people. Mm-hmm. And 
also to advise them on how to channel their energy also because a lot of the people who came to um do martial arts with us came from similar backgrounds to me mm. like for example Dillian White used to be um one of my, my initial who, training White, partners, um, heavyweight boxer professional yeah, boxer yeah. he's that Anthony Joshua that sort of level yeah, is it yeah, okay yeah. is he like like number one I think he's like number one he was the number one contender WBC but okay because he's just lost his fight to Povetkin yeah. I think he's gone down in the ranks okay um, so you used to train with him yeah okay. on a regular basis but yeah. I've got people who have suffered from autism suffer from small um from rare illnesses who have joined in with my training and it's helped them Mm. because a lot of people have isolated themselves naturally before even the COVID lockdown. They weren't communicating with other people. And again, um, where there's a lack of this community spirit now, mm. you don't notice um, these people. But I've done my best to kind of find these people within my community and help them. So I found out there was a boy in my state who suffers from autism. I told him, why don't you come out and train with me? Um, we'll do our social distancing training, but it will help you with your confidence. Mm. Um, like he was very overweight. He was very negative and he's been training with me for about six months now. And he's a lot more positive. He even had a, found a part-time job in boots over yeah, the summer. Nice. And he said to me, if it weren't for your encouragement and you keep telling me you can, you can be whatever you want to be, I wouldn't have applied for that job. Um, it was only a temporary job, and so he's stopped now. But now he's looking for more jobs, and this, and he keeps telling me, if it weren't for you helping me get the boots job, I wouldn't be looking for other jobs now. Mm. And I feel that just um, helping the small people around me has been very beneficial. And although lockdown has been negative to a lot of people, yeah, I find that what I've been doing has been very positive for my own little bubble and for myself. Mm. And again, as I said, I, I want to help it push these kind of things out to other people. Um, like, like I said, I'm helping someone who has autism, but there are, there are women out there who have um, other issues. Like I don't want to go too much into detail, but I've got a woman who trains for me who, um, goes through some, um, like mental depression yeah. ups and downs. But mm. she says like having that little community spirit where it's like 10, 12 people within our group, we can communicate with each, each other. And now and then I'll message her just like, how are you just doing? How's it going on? Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen you at yeah. training for a while. Um, what's going on? And she's like, do you know what, chicks? I'm going through this. And I'll be like, I'm here for you if you, if you need my help. And although she says she can overcome it by herself, it's something she goes through um, every so often. She's come, she's thanked me for being there for her. And I feel like having my own little community, my own little bubble, I feel that we've been there for each other. Yeah. Everybody goes through their own ups and downs. Yeah, yeah, and if you don't have someone to communicate with, you tend to go into more into a shell. So I think that, yeah, the training's helped a lot of people come out of their shell and it's opening up um, a lot of more avenues for them. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, so what... Um, just lastly, what advice would you give out to anyone like in terms of taking care of their mental health, especially in this time? What advice would you give out to people? I, mean, I don't know what is the, the best word you told me is the best word to say mental health issues or like 
with everything, I think they've always got a category to put everything in some kind of box. Yeah. Well, we'll call it mental health just yeah. for, for the fact that it's got uh, some kind of category. It is a difficult one because a lot of people um, go through it differently. But I always advise people to not have a close-knit um, community that you can trust, yeah? So, for instance, if, you, if you're if you feeling on a downer, let's say, for instance, my, you, you're, you, you're my cousin. If you have, if you're feeling low, you should be able to phone me and say, "Raw chigs, you know, I'm going through these issues," and I should be able to to listen, listen to you and advise you. So yeah, so people having their own small community or having um, close friends or people um, around them just as a support bubble. What about people? There's some people that don't have many friends. They don't have family. They don't have people. They're isolated. Okay. So what? What would you? What? What would you advise them to do? Well, I advise them to do their best to find. Like me, I found my group because um, a lot of them were suffering. Were like you said, they don't have their own support bubble. I found a lot of people who didn't have their own support bubble and created one myself. But I feel maybe they need to create one themselves or even come to me and we'll, we we can resolve it by opening, making it broader. Because there might be certain um, issues that someone's going through, which I might not understand. But then again, I might know someone who, someone who can help them with that. And as long as we're communicating, we're able to help one another. Mm. There was a boy in my group who has no money. So I, I asked one of my friends who who works in, in um, retail if they can find him a job. He's got an interview next week. So as I said, for any issues you have, if if you have a support bubble, they can help you. Um, you touched on, you've touched on like your faith, family, what's got you to the place you are. So where is that place? Where are you now? We spoke about your fighting, your history, and whatnot, like uh, martial arts. So in terms of like how you make money, your career, where where are you at right now? Because I know you're doing a lot of work in the community, but how did you get there in terms of, so you said you went to university. What did you do when you come out of university? Okay, um, when I, I got my first degree, um, it was mechanical engineering design at Kingston University. Um, I didn't. I worked in a bank straight after um, after leaving university just to uh, make money, um, get the funds, finances. Yeah. It took me six years to get into engineering, and then there were so many ups and downs. Actually, after getting into in engineering, I worked for um, a housing association where they were training me up, and partway through um, being trained, they got rid of all all the jobs. And so I lost my, my my role and had to apply for a different role within the company. Mm. I realised I didn't want the responsibility of working for someone else. Like whenever you work for someone else, you're under their rules, under their, um, their restrictions. You can only move so far up or get paid so much by achieving... Or, or for the company yeah yeah yeah, yeah. not like generally yeah. for yourself for yeah, the company yeah. you can make and money yeah, financially yeah and yeah. even achieving for the company you're achieving for the bigger bosses not really yourself and so um 
my good friends and I, we started up our own company because I was involved in martial arts. Um, my friends who I started training, they actually asked me where you could get equipment from. And I was like, yeah, maybe Amazon or you need to go to a, um, one of the bigger stores. And then most majority of them are outside of London. Mm. So we thought about principle of actually having our own equipment company and allowing people to try on the equipment before they buy it. Because when you buy online, obviously you have to wait for it to come. If it don't fit you, you, yeah. you, you send it yeah. off. Um, although I'm no longer part of the company, Martial Arts Locker Room, um, my concept was still, do you know, I'd rather work for myself and have that time to um, where I own my own hours. I can decide if I want to wake up six o'clock and start work at six o'clock, I will work from six o'clock to whatever time I want and still have time for my daughter. Um, mm. So yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm in charge of my own time. I'm not restricted to a nine to five. I work as ma as many days as I want and I still have the time to for my friends, family, and especially my daughter. Yeah. So, okay. yeah. Uh, and so, and um, what is that work that you do? Like, so is it like the martial arts? What is it? Okay, um, there's a wide variety of things I do. Like, I'm a self-employed personal trainer, but my um, main thing that I wanted to do when I, um, to get that qualification was to become a full-time um, martial arts um, trainer. But, um it turned out that I um, went more to the personal training side, but with the personal training side, I incorporated what I learned from martial arts as well. Mm -hmm. I've got an online um, company, yeah, where I sell um, my own equipment and clothing, um, but I also have like my own app, yeah. which I'm getting involved right now. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's a v that, VPN app, which is basically um, like a secure Wi-Fi um, for, for your mobile phones, because a lot of people, they sign into um, the free Wi-Fi um, connections and what they don't realise that malware and hackers can actually get into your device and see which sites you've been on or what you, you're doing on your device. Like so, your yeah. Well, yeah, so this VPN it well, actually yeah. protects your um, device. It's actually called Unbreachable VPN. So okay. I've just, um, okay. it's just in the process of being completed at the moment. So you seem like you've got your fingers in a lot of different pies at the well, moment. Well, do you know what they say, um, do you know what, in order to become a millionaire, although that's not the main goal, my, my main goal through what I'm doing is to help people of my community. Mm -hmm. So the personal trainer, I'm helping people with their health, their fitness, it's even, I'm even utilizing mentoring within my training and within the martial arts. Um, and I felt like the VPN, again, I'm helping my community by stop people hacking into their own, um, into their, um, into their phones and doing all kinds of frauds and, and things like that. Mm. So I don't know why, but everything I seem to do seems to be a, around helping my community. And yeah. I feel that so we've been, really yeah. yeah. And I so feel that really we've evident. been failed yeah. as a community, not just a black community, but failed as a massive community on the whole through um our leisure um our um community centers being closed down a majority of of kids nowadays don't really um associate with with um people outside the way they used to majority of them are on the laptops or on on a phone yeah. communicating so there's less of that personal um touch and i feel that the community has been let down 
very much um, on that on that side. So yeah, yeah. And you was talking about this VPN business and whatnot. One of the things I, I, I suppose, well, it's really, it's at the forefront of a lot of conversations that I have, and we're talking about time and generation and whatnot. Um, it's social media, and obviously, I suppose for someone like yourself that's self-employed that has your own business, I'm sure you use quite a bit of social media um, to gather interest, to promote your business and whatnot. But what are your thoughts? How does it help you? And then what are your thoughts on social media? Okay. Um, social media on the whole, for me, I actually call it anti-social media because people, to a certain extent, think that they've got all these friends and f- and feel that the followers are actually liking their stuff mm-hmm. and it be- you become absorbed in this matrix. Yeah. Like your world, this social networking world becomes your actual world. Yeah. You don't realise that you need to get friends outside, mm-hmm. not friends on the computer. And um, people put statuses up or put photos up that draw people to, to them, but give the wrong um, message. And I feel that people have been sucked into that world. They don't realise that there's a, a world outside of, of social media. So, yeah, um, I, I really think it's detrimental to a certain extent. But for like my business and getting out to a wider audience, yeah. I think it's, it's very um, beneficial. Like for me, I only train people within a small community, but I want to broaden that and utilizing social media, showing people like on my Instagram, on my Facebook, showing them what I do and how I try to influence other people and better their life. That has been very positive. And I'm trying to push that to a wider scale so that it's not just my small bubble or small community. I'm helping other communities and also leading by example. Other people see what I'm doing and they can set up their own scheme or even want to work with me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, as I said, um, as we spoke before, we came from um, gang culture and people within a gang culture can can also see like, raw this guy Chiggs, he was involved with um, Mightsfield Estate. He used to be involved with certain gangs uh, and things like that. But he's done positive. Although he came from that environment, he's, he's now pushed his life on a positive level. And that can help influence people involved in gang mentality. And they can find ways of communicating with me as well. It's not hard to just send a message. Whereas before, without social media, people wouldn't even know who Chiggs Terry is. So I think that, yeah, social media to a certain extent has helped. But um, in terms of one of the last things that I want to touch on is, I don't know, in times like this, like, what are your thoughts, your general thoughts on this whole pandemic? Do you know, it's, it's a difficult one because um, at the beginning of the last year, my father passed away and we went to bury him in Sierra Leone. And there were no, um, when we went to, I believe it was Heathrow Airport, every door, hundreds of people in the airport, there was no masks, um, there was no like sanitizers, no temperature checks, there were no restrictions on flights or anything like that. As soon as we got to Sierra Leone, you got off the airplane, they check your temperature, they give you sanitizer, you then go to the desk, they check your temperature again. They've done 
a so um a so-called third world country mm. has already put these restrictions in place to prevent um any issues of of the pandemic happening in their country and i feel our our um our um, government have been useless with it and i'm i'm going to be real mm. this is there should have been a lockdown um a long time ago yeah there should have been restrictions on flights going in and out i know they keep saying oh the economy would crash but having like a month or two where they had a solid um, restriction on flights coming in and out or a proper lockdown system, we wouldn't have all these temporary lockdowns. There wouldn't be so many companies suffering mm. because rather than it being a, a two month of, of um, financial problems, it's now been over a year of financial problems mm. and there are companies still suffering and we still don't see the light at the end of the tunnel because the, the people who are supposed to be um, running this country don't even know what they're doing. Yeah. So if they put in a proper procedure at the beginning, this pandemic wouldn't be as as fast as it is. Mm. And I think now where they're saying there's a new strand, these new strands are possibly coming from other countries bringing in their different types of, of virus. Mm. And if it was restricted at the beginning, mm. we would only had to deal with what, what is on our plate. Mm. But now we've had to deal with so much coming in and going out that... It's, it's, it's even broader. Yeah, makes sense. All right, and final question. Well, it's not even a question. Final thing that I'm going to say. All right, just something light to go out on. I think it's been like, it's been fascinating hearing some of your views, talking to you, finding out about, like even stuff like us being family, there's certain things that you said that I wasn't even privy to, I wasn't aware of. So it's been really, it's been really eye-opening. And I think hopefully our audience will agree. Um, but one of the last things, just on a, different taking it somewhere different if you could this is how we finish things there's always yeah. going to be something different so if you could be an animal any animal what animal would it be and why and think about probably the context of everything we've been talking about what we're in now this whole pandemic so what animal would you be in why? i've always seen myself as my own leader so i'd say a lion because the lion looks after his family and is a leader sets an example for those around them. So the cubs and and even um, the lioness, the the lion is the main provider and sets the standard for his own um, little community. And I I've always felt that you know I'm not a follower, I'm a leader. So a lion is is the type of animal I feel. Uh, um, and yeah, for those um, that want to get in contact with Chigs. Um, what's your social media and how can people contact you? Um, my personal training um, social media for my Facebook is Chicks Terry Personal Trainer. And I just spell that like C not everyone knows that. Yeah, right. yeah, Chicks is C H I G S. And my surname is Terry T E R R Y Personal Trainer. And my Instagram is talented underscore Mr. <laughs> underscore Terry PT. Yeah. But if you just type in Chicks Terry on Instagram, you, you can still find me the same way. And on that note, it's been an absolute pleasure, sir. Uh -huh.